Neil Schusterman and Jared Schusterman, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. You have collaborated now for the third time. You have a story in Unbound. You had a novel in 2018 called Drive. And now you're back with Roxy, which is, as I told you both before we started this recording, it is a barn burner of a novel. And I do think it's actually going to help a lot of folks. So would one or both of you set this novel up for listeners, please? We wanted to tell a story about the opioid crisis, but we wanted to do it from a unique perspective, something we hadn't seen before. And we thought, what if we told it from the point of view of the drugs themselves? And once we thought of that idea, the idea that these drugs all have personalities, that they are like the Greek gods existing in their eternal party in the sky, and they come down to earth to mess with us. Once we came up with that idea, it just started to write itself. And it really did, you know, one chapter after another. I mean, that when we got together, it was like within a couple days, I mean, we had so much worked out. It was just, we were just on a roll. It was one of those ideas that, that just clicked. What was funny about it was that, uh, you know, Jared had come to visit so that we could spend a week trying to come up with an idea for our next book, trying to come up with something that we felt passionate about. And we came up with this on the first day and it just started to flow out. And so we ended up spending that, that whole week just writing and we worked out pretty much the whole story during that first week and got many chapters in. You alternate between this sort of first person perspective for the drugs themselves, but then you move to the third person omniscient for the story of a pair of siblings named Isaac and Ivy Ramey. Where did Ivy and Isaac come from? I guess you could say, in general, there are archetypes of the types of people that can start to go down these paths of addiction. And for us, what we wanted to do was make it as relatable as possible, as real as possible. So what are the types of people who can often get in these situations? I've known some people personally who have who have suffered this kind of disease. So in the back of my mind, I couldn't help when writing Isaac thinking about a certain someone subconsciously, and I didn't even realize. And that's what made it that portion of it really close to home for me. And then, uh, you know, the idea of Ivy, who is, you know, the character of Isaac, he is a kid who does well in school and he uh, is on a sports team, but he injures himself. And so ends up having to start taking pain medication. And that is, you know, a path to addiction for a lot of people. And then there's Ivy who, you know, has been experimenting with drugs and doing a lot of self-medicating. And so that's, that's another path. And so we wanted to show these siblings, but have them be different and approaching it from different directions. Mm. And uh, it was uh, fascinating and scary and an enlightening following them through this journey. Uh, and you know, as you said, some of the book is told in this very surreal world of the drugs, but the stuff with Isaac and Ivy from their point of view is entirely real world. So we're seeing it from the real world perspective, and we're seeing it from this sort of sublimated perspective of these gods slash drugs. What was unique about going through their perspectives and something that we didn't really realize, or at least I didn't realize while writing is there's so many things to, to try to accomplish when writing a book like this. So we put a lot of emphasis on the party in the sky, on characters like Roxy. But the thing that I almost got to enjoy unfold just as it did was the relationship between Ivy and Isaac. That was something that we didn't necessarily, or at least I didn't necessarily put paramount because you're trying to juggle so many things. And that kind of unfolded, unfolded in an almost organic way. And that was really fun as, an, as a writer to be able to see where that went. And their parents really do love them and their parents are doing the best that they can. But this isn't a story where the parents are the bad guys. That's a, a trope that is so common. And, and I feel that it is inauthentic. 
parents, most of the time, they care deeply. They just don't know what to do, or they are so wrapped up in what's happening with their own lives and uh, and everything else is going on that they don't see what's going on. And, you know, many times kids are really good at hiding what's going on with them. So one of the things that we that we mentioned is, you know, the idea that parents will see the big picture, but sometimes miss little things that are actually big things. So much of young adult is the process of realizing that your parents aren't the problem, that your parents aren't the antagonist. And listen, I'm biased. I work with one of them. But like <laughs> during that period, you're starting to really learn. Um, and we, we didn't want to tell a story that was necessarily that kind of coming of age. We wanted to tell a story that started with a more, I guess, kind of mature starting point, which was we live in a world and a perception where parents do in the real world. That's how it is. And they are on the side of their their kids. They want their kids' best interests. So to kind of second and pair what my dad said, yeah, we 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 wanted it to be realistic in that way. And grandma's pretty excellent. I'm really fond of grandma. <laughs> we love grandma too. <laughs> Whose idea though was it for the word games? You hid words in the titles, which I thought was very clever. And it happens in a couple of different places in the book. But whose idea was that? That was mine. That was my idea. It started with the title. It started Mm -hmm. with Roxy because the whole idea of Oxy being, you know, highlighted in that word. And I thought, well, what if each chapter we did that? So with the first one, which was Naloxone, I just thought about it and just started looking at it. And then I pulled out alone. Oh, that's really cool. I wonder if we can do that for every chapter. And there was a lot of time where I spent like entire days trying to figure out what chapter title could produce the proper word. It was uh, a challenge to do that. It was kind of like a little bit of a Rubik's Cube trying to figure it out, but it was a lot of fun. You said you had a lot of chapters just sort of sort themselves out, but are you working off of an outline? Are you working off of, say, Jared writes some pages and hands them off to Neil and Neil writes some pages and hands them off to Jared? How does that process work for you two? I mean, I kind of equate it to the both of us are on a road trip going across the country. I mean, we have our headlights that give us a little bit of view ahead of us. And sometimes we take turns driving. We don't necessarily know what the end is going to be exactly, but we know we're getting to the other coast. We know the idea. So for us, I mean, often it's we get together, we get really excited and just start spouting off ideas and then highlighting what works and what doesn't and then kind of massaging things and in a in a way taking ideas that are malleable and really squeezing them for for, for all they are and then we go back and forth and you know one person will often establish a voice and they get really inspired and the other person will establish another voice of a character and then as soon as we kind of agree upon the voice a little bit before sometimes we just are kind of on the same wavelength and we don't even talk about it and it's oh yeah Roxy's supposed to be a little bit arrogant. She's supposed to be a little bit this and a little, and then we get on a roll and then we'll just take turns back and forth. And we like to think that you can't tell when you jump between, between each other. Um, Also afterwards, we'll do a little bit of editing to make sure everything blends, but there isn't so much editing that I'll do on him or he'll do on me. And we really started this, this process when we wrote dry, which is the book we did before Roxy uh, Mm -hmm. was coming up with the voice together and figuring out, okay, what is this character going to sound like what's going on in their head? And once we have the voice locked in, then either of us can write it. I remember when we were talking about the Koch brothers who were supposed to be, you know, cocaine, you know, in these white suits and blinged out, and we were thinking, well, what, they're, they're kind of like these, you know, these guys who own a Las Vegas hotel and they're hanging out in their private booth and the party comes to them. So once we sort of came up with that idea, you know, then we would go and work on it. But nailing down that voice was something that most of the time we did together and talking about how to develop that, the voices of the characters. Yeah. And I remember for the Koch brothers, my first inspiration of it was, was uh, sympathy for the devil. It's just so 
creepy the way that unfolds. So I'm like, how how can I try to channel that in some way? And then we we kind of continued with that vibe. So I want to go back to something that you both alluded to a little earlier. But when you're starting a project like this, do you need to establish the voice first or can you start from the idea? I mean, you knew you wanted to write this specific book. Who showed up first? I mean, did you have Roxy's voice first? Did you have Isaac's voice first? We started thinking about who the different drugs would be. And I think, you know, we came up with Adderall and, and that would be Addison. And we came up with Roxy right away as, as OxyContin. And then we came up with the Koch brothers and that kind of nailed it because we just, that just made us laugh. Uh, but to trying to set up the voice and trying to set up, you know, from the beginning, I think the first thing that we did is I wrote the chapter, the opening chapter, uh, you know, Naloxone. And just to try to set up this sort of dark and creepy, surreal situation. And that was sort of just the beginning of it. So once that chapter was done, then we started to brainstorm the rest of the book. Yeah. And once the tone was set, it the tone was set in, in there in that way. So then after that, the next thing to write was I was what I why I went into, which is the third person getting to know Isaac, you know, getting to know Ivy. And then it was, you know, third person is I think tonally is like is a lot easier because you know, you're kind of this omnipresent, you know, writer. So you're a step removed. But so that was pretty easy. So the third person's found to be pretty natural. And then we jumped into the different drugs and we took turns getting into those. I think it was just pretty obvious because we talked about, you know, what are the five or six attributes we want them to be? What do we want them to be like? What are what are they? Who are they? And we just had a good discussion about it. And then it became pretty clear. And I think here and there, you know, I would write something and my dad would tweak it or, you know, he'd write something. I'd say, you know, maybe a little more like this. Maybe she's not quite thinking in this term. Maybe she's a little less arrogant here. Maybe she's more vulnerable here. And then we have a little discussion about it. Those conversations are pretty few and far between. I think we we really gelled on this one. We trust each other's professionalism. We trust each other's talents. And so, you know, if Jared has a comment about something that I've written, I take it seriously. And I look at it and try to figure out how to fix it. And it and works the other way as well. So, uh, you know, it's, it's never where we sit down and we just battle over something. There's no my way. It has to be this way. I, I think we both approach it from the point of view of we're trying to create the best possible story. If one of us doesn't think that it's right, let's come up with something that both of us like. And what- Exactly. Like the sensation is that, you know, I kind of equate it to like a Venn diagram. You know, you have what I like, you have what he likes. And if I don't like something that he wrote or he doesn't like something that I wrote, we'll say no. And it takes two yeses to get any anything through. So then once we get to those two yeses, you know, then we reach that other part of the Venn diagram, which is hopefully we're able to reach even more people because it's gotten through my scope. It's gotten through his scope. Now I like to think we have a much higher percentage chance of, of other people liking that or agreeing with that or thinking that that's the right direction. And, you know, when it comes to that whole concept of no, it's never just no, it's no with a reason. No, this isn't working because of this. And, and once it's illuminated, once the problem is illuminated, then it becomes much easier to fix. You two have also collaborated on a television pilot that you sold. Would you ever consider writing a series together? I mean, both of the books have been standalones, spectacular standalones, but standalones. And that's a really different experience than writing a book series, which, Neil, we all know you've done multiple times. You know, when it comes to writing together, it's really fun for us to do. We get excited doing different projects, you know, and. And I mean, I guess a series, I never even thought about that. I mean, I just always have it so clear it's a good idea to do multiple different different stories because then you just have multiple different worlds that people can enjoy. You know, there's that rush of something new. So as a creator, personally, I haven't, haven't done a series, so my, my dad can speak to, to what that's like. But I love the idea of always creating something new. And I love the idea of readers being able to always enjoy something new. 
Not to say that a series isn't always new, but here you can defend series deck. Well, the thing is, is I love writing series, but I also like writing standalones. I like to go back and forth between doing them because a series is a huge commitment. And sometimes, you know, I mean, it's, it's difficult. And you always, by the time you get to the, to the last book in a series, it's usually twice as long as the first one and takes three times as long because there's so much to wrap up. But, you know, doing these standalones has been kind of a nice palate cleanser and really packs a punch in that single volume rather than spreading that punch out over an entire series. So uh, I'm not uh, averse to doing uh, a series with Jared, but, uh, but I really like doing these, you know, these standalone books. What is it about fiction that makes us so much more open to challenging ideas? I mean, you write about some big ideas in this book. I mean, there's a lot of great narrative nonfiction out there about the opioid crisis, but what is it about fiction that we need? I think it's the emotional connection. When when you hear a story about someone who's been through this, you're observing their world, you're observing their life and what they've been through. You were on the outside. And yes, it can be very emotional, but still you were on the outside looking at somebody else. When you're reading a book, those characters are avatars for you. You are going through it with those characters when you're reading fiction. And so there is, I think, a stronger connection. And I think we're, you're able to really get into your head and, and get you to feel what these characters are going through much more powerfully in fiction. I like to think of fiction as true stories that aren't necessarily factual. People ask, will you ever write a true story? And my response to that is all my stories are true. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And another thing just to add is, I also feel like a lot of what we do is, you know, a large quantity of it, it is entertainment, you know, and, and we can't forget that. And the way I see it is kind of like a spoonful of sugar. You have something really important you want to say, well, you also need to make sure that people are going to enjoy it because nobody's going to be able to remember something if they don't have an emotional moment through it. I mean, I to equate it to, I like to learn languages and, and anytime I go and I speak a language and I say a word wrong and I accidentally tell people I'm pregnant, I never forget <laughs> And I messed that up. I never forget it. Why? Because it was an emotional moment. So when you pair emotion with wisdom, with ideas, with just, you know, making people think, then you're able to, I, I hope, make some kind of change in the thought process of people or just allow them to question and make conclusions for themselves. Yeah, I, I had the embarazada moment too. So yeah. I, I think anyone who's learning Spanish will have had that moment at some point in their in their lives. Something that, that always sticks out to me is, is, is an email that I once got uh, from, from a reader. And I think it was, I think they had read Unwind. And the email was, I just want you to know that you ripped my heart out of my chest, hurled it onto the floor and stomped on it. Thank you. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people, when we were setting dry, came with, with uh, copies of it. It was Thunderhead. And they were just kind of mad at him. They were just like, what did you do? How could you, how could you leave me like that? Leave me hanging like that. You're bad. You're bad. Can you sign this place? I loved it. <laughs> and for listeners who might not know, Thunderhead is the second volume in the Scythe trilogy. And Neil did everything he was supposed to do, which was leave us all hanging, waiting for the third volume. <laughs> and everybody wanted that third volume five minutes after finishing the second. It is true. It is true. So they went back and they reread the first one and then they went and looked at the Unwind series as well. I want to ask each of you too, do you have a favorite moment from Roxy? I have one moment that I did really enjoy writing and it, there was this moment where well, I don't want to give away because don't want to go. <laughs> there's a moment where a character 
really connects with another character and is really there for them, really there for them. And just the way that it all came together, it just, I don't know, it just, it really, really resonated for me because it's almost like this is that moment that maybe I didn't get to have with a friend. It's almost for a lot of the people reading this book, maybe that could be a moment for them. It was that perfect moment they wish they could have. Because a lot of people are going to read this book coming from different perspectives. If you're somebody who's battled with these diseases, if you're somebody who's on the pharmaceutical side of it, just trying to do good, if you're a parent or if you're, or if you're a friend. And for me, that was a moment that really connected. My favorite moment to write was on the roof of the party. And I guess I can talk a little bit about this. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but not really because it doesn't spoil anything that's mm-hmm, happening in the mm-hmm. main plot. There's this... Uh, legend that on, on the roof at the, t- at the top of the party that Lude, which is Quaalude, is chained up there because, you know, th- that's, that's a drug that was withdrawn because it was so dangerous. All the drugs that no longer exist are forever in this sort of purgatory up there. And Roxy goes up with Lucy, one of the other drugs, up, up to the roof to see if it's true. And there they find Lude chained by the snakes of the Caduceus. And that interaction is just so creepy. And I just, I just really enjoyed writing that. Lucy, I will also admit, had a soundtrack for me. Every time that character popped up, there was a very specific song that I heard. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Absolutely. But it made me laugh every single time. And Lucy is sort of a, I don't want to say a minor character. She has a role to play, but I don't think there's anyone who won't hear that particular song when, uh, when Lucy strolls onto the page. One of the things we, we talk about is the fun. You know, th- I mean, this is a very serious story, but as writers, to have these powerful moments, it's fun from a writing perspective. We want to write a story that's relatable and readable, and people are going to enjoy reading, but at the same time, we really want to emotionally catch you. I mean, we want to to hit you hard and make you look at these drugs and think, you know, this is this is a, a pretty scary thing. You know, it's that whole idea of taking your heart and, and, and throwing it on the ground and stomping on it, but then you being appreciative for having done that. And, you know, there's a lot of times where I'm writing something and I feel like a total jerk. Like, how could I do this to this character that I love? Or how could I do this to the audience? You know, but, but you got to push forward because I feel like to push to those hard questions, you have to push people, readers, characters to the brink of their humanity. So they go, if I was in this impossible situation, what would I do? How would I deal with it? And I think furthermore, I think we also have this need to make this story kind of fun. Now, listen, again, story is not fun because a lot of dark things happen, but it's a world and that's fun. Enjoying a new world. It's, it's a dark fantasy in that sense, paralleled and mirrored with reality. So I feel like we have an obligation to tell a different kind of story. And I thought that this kind of, I guess you could call it a subgenre of, you know, a lot of nonfiction inspired, really hardcore, you know, YA or not YA drug related stories. We wanted to do something that was like, no, welcome everybody. Everybody come. Even if you're not in that kind of mood (laughs) this weekend, come anyway and enjoy this. But at the same time, feel something, connect, learn something, question or don't. We want to invite everybody in. We thought that it was time to write something that was inviting for everybody who maybe wasn't necessarily in that really dark mood. Does that mean you're writing for readers first or are you writing because the story is taking you someplace? Readers. You know, I've been on panels where writers would say, oh, you know, it's all about the story and following where the story goes. And, and uh, that's usually when I'm on adult panels. 
you know, and I'm the only young adult author. And I always say, no, 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 no. You have a responsibility to the reader and the readers come first. And you want to do something that is going to leave your reader in a better place than where they started, that is going to enlighten them. Even if it takes them through some very dark places, the entire point is to bring them to a place of hope and to bring them to a place where they feel as if they've they've taken something from this that is going to, in some small way, change their lives for the better. And we all have our moments, at, like as writers, of, um, uh, haha, I'm going to put this line in because I think this is cool and I, I think this is going to be funny and this is a little, you know, a little thing for me. But those could be a line. That could be a sentence. That could be a fun reference. But we're just thinking of, I mean, we're just thinking of the readers uh, for, for everything. How is this going to be perceived? You know, you might as well just write and not show it to anyone because it's just for you. It's not a selfish endeavor. It's the goal is to be to share. And there's a difference between uh, writing with the reader in mind and pandering to the reader. Because, yeah. You know, we, we don't do that. Uh, we, we write with the reader in mind, hoping that they are going to connect with the story. I mean, it's all about connecting with the story. And if, if we're just writing something just because we want to follow the story and don't write it in a way to connect with the readers, then we're not doing our job. We may not give kids enough credit for understanding bigger picture ideas. Something that my dad always said when I was growing up and you know learning to write, I'd always send him you know my projects or whatever, and he'd mentor me in that way, is that you know readers and kids are a lot smarter than people like to give credit for. And at the time I was a kid, so I was like, yeah, I am pretty smart. <laughs> and, and it wasn't that long ago that I was 18 or I was 17. It wasn't that long, ago, 10 years, a little more, but there's so much that has changed since then, but there's so much that hasn't changed since then in the way that, that my brain was. So I never wanted to forget that readers are smart. And also as a writer, when you write to an audience, you have to treat them like they're smart. You know, if you treat them like they're stupid, they might not connect with the book or you because they go, I'm worth more than that. Really, you're going to explain that to me. You know, I never like to be talked down to in any way. So it's give them credit and you can get them engaged and compliment them as, as they read. You have learned well, my young Padawan. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the comments that I've often gotten, and I've gotten this several times from parents who will come up and say, you know, my son read Scythe or my daughter read Unwind and made me read it because they wanted to talk to me about it. And then we discussed it. And then the parent would say, I never knew my kid thought that deep. You know, I, I think when we write things that ask the reader to rise to the level of the writing and the level of the ideas behind the writing, they will do it and they will appreciate not being talked down to. Did anything surprise you guys? while you were writing, whether it was something in your working relationship or something a character did or someplace the story went that you weren't expecting? You know, I think the, the, the writing of it is always a discovery. It's not like there is one thing that surprised us, but there were, were multiple, multiple moments that surprised us. You know, when we came up with a lot of the side characters, you know, one of the things that, that we did, which was, which was sort of reminiscent of what we did in Dry, is we had, we call them interludes, these little short stories almost like monologues from the point of views of some of these side drugs. You know, Mary Jane, you know, who's, who's of course marijuana and she's gone legit. She wears a business suit now and how, and how she has changed. But, and she's there to help a, a cancer patient, you know, overcome their, their response to chemo. There's Phineas, who is morphine, who's kind of like this angel of death that haunts hospitals and nursing homes. And discovering those characters and then writing those little vignettes about them were just 
an interesting challenge and they were they were exciting to write but they were discoveries you know discovering the characters and discovering all these different aspects of the world that we built it was always surprising and i think another to add to that another thing that was pretty that was a, a little bit surprising was just how well it gelled for us or how kind of efficiently or quickly and how inspired it came out you know i never felt like i was pulling teeth sometimes some scenes are harder than others i never felt that way with this book and i never felt that way with dry at all but this even more so it just felt like it just kind of came came out of me so that was a little surprising i think we have a pretty good idea of who you are as writers but who are you both as readers are you reading for story first you're reading for character are you reading to be entertained educated what what are you reaching for who are you reaching for who are some of your big influences when i read i am always reading to find that book that keeps me up until 4 in the morning i'm reading for that book that i can't put down i'm re- i'm reading for the book that makes me say damn i wish i would have thought of this and, and you know those are those are hard to find those original stories that take your mind in a direction that it's never gone before a direction that you didn't even know existed until you read that story and uh, you know those are those are hard to find you know it made me a little sad cuz like wow i'm not reading enough for pleasure you know cuz you know like for example the the poster you have behind you the old man in the sea i reread that recently i you know i feel like i'm always reading to either at least culture myself and feel more worthy of being able to write and then there's the moments of we're all just read books and i'm reading books in spanish now cuz i'm trying to learn spanish I'm reading the book called Sapiens is about, about anthropology, just to build up my well of knowledge and culture. So then when I write something, it's worthwhile, you know, kind of as I guess facts are, you know, facts are, are the, and knowledge is the, is the antidote for writer's block. And, and I think if you take that on a more macro level, just as fuel, as a writer, I, I want to know things, learn things. So that's what I've been doing. I need to read more for pleasure. <laughs> yeah. It's hard when, getting it's hard when it. you're spending so much time writing. I can only read for pleasure when I am on vacation, when I'm away from writing, because when you're reading something that has a powerful voice, you end up unintentionally mimicking that while you're writing. And so it's, it's, uh-huh. it's difficult. But something that I wanted to mention, which is kind of funny, is that, yeah, Jared, I didn't know you were reading Sapiens. I'm reading Homo Deus, which is the next book that he wrote. So uh-huh. Independently, we're reading uh, the same author. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's a pretty good book. That's interesting that you say that you unintentionally mimic a voice, and that can be an issue while writing. I never thought about that. I feel like whenever I try to sit down and, and read something, I can't stop thinking about everything as as a tool for what we're doing. So I'll, I'll, I'll oh, I really like those combination of words and how this. I ruined it for myself a little bit. You know. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you ruined it for yourself? Oh, because because I'm you know it's like imagine sitting with like a a movie critic at a theater. It's probably sucks. You know, he's just. <laughs> annoying so i got this <laughs> critic in my head that's like oh this would be cool oh let, oh i like how this was put together and it's like i've read three pages and i've got all these thoughts ideas and and comparisons it's like just enjoy the damn book Jared, <laughs> enjoy the book read the it's book a little too analytical <laughs> so yeah that's what i'm saying <laughs> it happens it happens i also i'm not necessarily one who's going to finish a book you know, as you can imagine, I have no idea how many books I read in a year. I know I have multiple books going at any given point. And there are times where you just have to say, I can't. This is meant for someone who is not me. Mm-hmm. They will find it. They do not need me to help them find it. <laughs> <laughs> That's some wisdom right there. <laughs> and and I do genuinely believe that there is a book for everyone. I do. 
Jared, what has working with your dad taught you about writing? I mean, let's face it, your dad's been doing this for a while. I mean, he's been doing this longer than you've been on the planet. <laughs> you know, well, I guess to bring it back from like the beginning of like why I even started doing this was I first started and I was a kid and all my my dad's friends would go, oh, you're going to be like your dad. You're going to be a writer. And I was a kid. So I was like, no way. I'm going to go. You know, at first I wanted to like, I don't know, work at a car wash. But then when I got a little more mature, I realized I want to be like a be a director. And then I was like, okay, great. But to be a director, you got to write screenplays. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to write some screenplays, bought some books, Robert McKee, just studied my ass off when I was a teenager. And then I started to be like, well, dad, you know what you're doing? Can you help me with this? And then we started working on a television pilot together. And then it was like, hey, that my dad was at one point, I remember I wrote a line, he was like, you're good at this. You could write prose, you know, and I got the opportunity to write uh, that short story in the Unbound collection. And it turned into you know, this writing relationship that we have. And it came from this far other place. And I think what I, what I really learned through that whole process and my dad kind of mentoring me through that is that storytelling is a way to connect with people. And it can go between so many different mediums, but this book could very well be a movie. It could very well be a play. It could very well be, I mean, you're, you're connecting through a narrative. And there was just something to me that I guess in a different way, when I was younger, I put writing a book up here in a sense of it's, it was a, an art form that was maybe more unattainable. It was harder. It, I needed to be very prosaic. And I learned that the prose is just beautiful dressing for, for what you're really trying to do. And that's get through people, connect with people, tell a story. I guess I started with screenplay writing. I was really learning from its core. And my dad helped mentor me to, through the process to now where I kind of feel like I see a, the forest for the trees even more so. I have not been doing this forever. Jared is 30. Jared is 30, but I'm only 35. So uh, I'm half your age, dad. Feel old. Almost, but not quite. No, yeah, more. <laughs> it's funny, you know, when I would walk around with my father, my father would always tell me, tell people you're my brother. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that to Jared. <laughs> That's really funny. Grandpa said that. That's hilarious. Yeah. But Neil, you've known since, what, the ninth grade that you wanted to be a writer, and you've basically been a professional writer since right after college, right? I sold my first book six months out of college and uh, have been doing it ever since and, uh, you know, developed a career writing for the, for the entertainment industry simultaneously while writing the novels. And so uh, it's been my, my entire adult life. I've been very lucky and have had a lot of really good people along the way to help me. So you weren't really surprised when all four of your children turned out to be very artistic and writers and all of this kind of thing, were you? I was not surprised. It was it was a joy to see and uh, also a little terrifying because, you know, it's so hard to succeed in a creative field. But, you know, they're all very talented and watching them grow and blossom has been just a parent couldn't hope for better. Kind of to like back up, I guess, from the other perspective of of that, you know, growing up, and just always knowing in the back of your mind that, oh, your dad's a writer. Oh, it's possible. Like, it's possible because it's also a kind of insane thing to say, right? Like, I want to be a writer. It's like almost like, and I want to make money and support a family. It's almost like saying you want to be an astronaut or something. You know, it's, it's pretty tough and to do well, maybe not as hard as being an astronaut, but it's tough. And to just know subconsciously that that was always possible, even if I wanted to be an entrepreneur and start a business. But it was always possible to believe in yourself, create something, and then have it work. That just subconsciously was the biggest thing. Because if somebody's too afraid to make the jump and to, to give it a shot, then, then they'll never make it. Neil, flip side to the question I asked Jared 
a little bit ago. What have you learned from working with Jared? It's so hard to put into words. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've learned how to connect with him on, on a different level than to father and son. I mean, connecting as adults, connecting as, co- as collaborators has been so much fun. There, there's so much pride to be able to sit there, you know, across the table and talk story and create something together. It's, it's such a sense of pride and joy in doing it. It's hard to explain. I can hear the emotion though. It's pretty cool. What do you both want readers to know about Roxy? I want readers to know going into it that it could be happy and it's going to be an adventure and there's a lot of parts of it that are going to be exciting. But at the end of the day, I want people to know that life is an adventure and as is this book. I would want people to know that you are going to walk away from this book having had a powerful emotional experience that you're going to be grateful for having had. And it's going to enrich your life. And depending on on who you are and what you've been through and what you're going through in your life, you know, I think there's going to be people whose lives that it saves. I mean, that's always the hope. Yeah. If you can make one person go, I'm going to make a different decision tonight, or I'm going to do something a little bit differently. I, I always think of the numbers of how many thousands could sell and then how many people of that percentage would maybe make a different decision. It's like, you know, that's, that's a real number. That's a real number that I really hope that somebody will just think twice. I mean, kind of driving it back a little bit. Part of the reason of writing about this topic was uh, my wife, she said, you know, I was really in shambles with everything that happened with, um, with a friend of mine and, and just people I know dealing with the addiction. She was like, write something cathartic, write something that is going to really connect. And, and she, you should write about this topic and came to my dad and we were like, okay, how are we going to do this? And uh, he came up with the idea of what if the drugs were like gods and, and then what if we go through the perspective and it really all grew out from there. But the main thing that, that she had asked me, my wife had asked me, she said, what book would you want to read if someone could tell you when you were 16 about drugs? Like, what would you need to hear? I didn't want to hear it in a didactic way or like some parent going, don't do this. Drugs are bad. Yeah, we all know they're bad. We get it. But it's like, how can you connect with somebody on that? And the book does end on a hopeful note. I mean, we should say that we're not spoiling anything. What's next for both of you? We've been talking about doing something else together. We don't know what, but for me, me and my wife, we have a book we're writing together called Retro, and that's with Simon & Schuster as well, and that comes out next year, so we're really excited about that. The, the short pitch would be, you know, there's a lot of cyberbullying that happens at a school, and because of that, a girl tries to take her own life. So what ends up happening is the social media company that was behind the platform says, you know what, we're going to do a challenge. If anyone can make it one year without your cell phone or without any modern technology, then we'll give you a full scholarship to whatever school you want. So all these kids start doing it and it's called going retro and it's fun. You go retro, you know, you put your phones away for a year and what is the world like? What are you like? Do we start to see that, you know, that there's a people behind phones. And then also that we realize with this social media company, we also realize that some different characters are, are disappearing and it becomes a mystery. Um, and we learn a lot about ourselves, each other and a responsibility with, um, with, with using phones. So we're excited about that. Okay, dad, plug your stuff. I just got to say, I'm so proud of you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, that's great. And I can't read, wait to read retro when, when it's done. So for me, the next thing that's out is going to be a site story collection, like I did with Unwind with the Unbound stories. Uh, there is a story collection for site that's going to be coming out next fall. And Jared and Sophie have a story in it. Yeah. Uh, 
She's from Spain, so we wrote a story between about Saith Gaudi and Saith Dali. So it's a, it's, a, it's a really good story. And also coming in January of 2023 is a, a graphic novel that is Holocaust themed. And this is something, it's called Courage to Dream. And I'm very excited about it. It's with Scholastic. Andres uh, Vera Martinez is the artist that I work with. And this is a project that I've been working on for more than 10 years. So I am just really excited to get it out there. All of that sounds great. And I know readers are going to be thrilled to get their hands on all of it. Neil Schusterman, Jared Schusterman, thank you so much for joining us on Poured Over. Thank Thank you. you. for having us. It's great talking to you. Poured Over is a Barnes & Noble production. The show is available on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. 